Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Todd Pletcher. With the Kentucky Derby Week in full effect, we are honored to have a Hall of Fame horse trainer and the trainer for the Kentucky Derby favorite, Forte, joining the podcast today. We're going to have some fun on this one, talking to the man who has won the Kentucky Derby twice and has also won the Kentucky Oaks. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly. And also, if you haven't already, go to Amazon and order my new book, Tackle What's Next, and the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks and enjoy. Todd, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, thank you. Hey, I've read that in horse racing, you started at the age of seven working for your father, Jake. Did you know at that point of your career that you wanted to make a lifelong career out of this? I don't, I don't think I knew it quite then. I think, you know, I was probably about 11 or 12 when I, when I really decided this is what I wanted to do for a career. And, um, yeah, I, I remember telling my mom sometime around the age of 12, this is what I wanted to do. And pretty much never thought about doing anything else. That's really cool. And so most know, most don't know this about the horse racing industry, but for a trainer, your days generally start around 4 a.m. It's a lot of times seven days a week. Did those hours ever scare you away from wanting to make this a career? No, I don't, I don't know that I would say they ever scared me, but, you know, it definitely, I remember when I started working for Wayne Lucas in May of 89, it, it actually, you know, it takes you a little while to kind of get so-called fit for, for that kind of uh, lifestyle. You know, when you start getting up at 3.30, 3.45 every morning and, and pretty much going from time you get to work at 4, 4.15 to sometimes 7, 7.30 at night. And, and like you, you said, most of the time it's seven days a week. And, and so, yeah, I, re I remember it actually taking a little while to, to kind of train your body to, to adjust to that type of program. Yeah, and any time that you rise to the ranks in any profession like you did, it's generally all-consuming. And so, yes, there's times where you may not be at the track, but it's constantly on your mind. It's constantly getting better. That being said, you have two sons. Will will either of them be following in your footsteps? Well, I've got, I've got two sons. Uh, one of them graduated from Texas A&M with an engineering degree, and he's working for uh, in an engineering corporation in, in Houston now. Uh, I have another son who's actually in his second semester of veterinary school. So, you know, I think he's going to end up working with horses. I don't know if it's going to be on the racetrack or not. And I have a daughter that's a, a sophomore at Wake Forest and not uh, not sure that – I don't think she'll be on the training side of it, uh, you know, but could possibly land something in the in, within the industry. So, so your hours and schedule didn't completely scare them away. So, that, so that's good. Uh, in your opinion, there are so many great horse trainers out there. But what separates the best from from others in this in this profession? I mean, you know, I I consider training horses to be you know very similar to being a coach in, in athletics, and and so, you know. I think for, for, for all of us, if, if, uh, if you have the right athletes, you know, that that's the single biggest component. And, you know, you can, you can be the greatest X's and I's X's and O's guy and, and drop the best plays. But if, if I'm your point guard, you're probably in trouble. Um, where, you know, same thing for, for a horse trainer, if you don't have that, that athlete, but you know, I think the best 
coaches, the best trainers get the most out of their out of their athletes and accomplish the most. And I think a lot of it's really about evaluating talent, um, putting your horses in the in the right races, you know, at the right distances, and and you know, assessing their ability levels is a big part of it. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, oftentimes, I've heard from trainers too. It's about the team that you surround yourself with because you can't be everywhere at once. When you travel into Kentucky for a a, a monster uh, weekend like you're preparing for, how many how many people on your team are you bringing with you? Well, we we have a division set up at, at Churchill, so we'll have 36 horses at Churchill that you know for the entire pretty much the entire. Uh, calendar year while Churchill was going on from, you know, the, the beginning of April till the end of November. So, you know, with, with the, with a, a, a stable of 36 horses, then generally it's almost a one-to-one -one ratio. And, you know, we'll have between exercise riders and grooms and hot walkers and night watchmen and assistant trainers and everything. So, uh, you know, it, it, with a, with a stable of 36 horses, we'll probably have about 30 employees here doing that. Wow, that, that's that's an even bigger team uh, than I imagined. Uh, so you brought Forte in very early to train at Churchill. Is this something you've done in the past with your Derby horses, or is this something different this time? No, th this is fairly consistent with what we've been doing, and I've I've looked at the, you know, all the the Derby winners over the last twenty years, and and really they've kind of come at it from all different angles. Some of the horses have been here and had several breezes over the racetrack. And, you know, some horses have shipped in the week of the race and not had a, a work over the track for us. You know, we've got not only Forte, but we have Kings Barnes and, and Tappet Trice who, who won the bluegrass at Keeneland, which would have been four weeks before, um, before the, the Kentucky Derby. So for us, we had Forte in Florida. We had Kings Barnes in Florida. We had Tappet Trice at Keeneland. You know, it just kind of made sense logistically to consolidate and have everybody under under one roof where we could kind of supervise their training. And I, I don't think it hurts to, to get a little experience over the racetrack, get them settled in a little bit before the big event. As far as prepping for the race specifically, what has your Kentucky Derby experience taught you over the years in preparing for the big one? Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, what I've told people in the past is, you, you know, I think you can learn a lot about some of the things you want to do, some of the things you don't want to do, sort of, uh, you know, what time you want to train and, and some different things like that. But the, the unique thing about the Kentucky Derby for a trainer is even if you come back, you're not bringing the same horse. So, you know, this year we're bringing Forte and Tappa Trice and Kings Barnes and, you know, They've never, never will have another opportunity running the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, what might work for them this year when we come back, hopefully next year with someone else, that plan might not work with that horse. So, you know, every year it's a, it's a, it's a new horse. And so you kind of have to figure out what, what you feel like that horse is, is best way of preparation is. And, and like I said, I think you can learn a, a few of the nuances of Churchill Downs and things like that, but, but you know, you're, you're bringing a different athlete this year than last year. How tough is it managing three different Kentucky Derby horses? I think the most you've ever had in the Kentucky Derby is five in one race. Is that tough to manage? Because a lot of times for an owner, at times owners will have had multiple Derby horses before, but a lot of times this is, this is their one shot. And so you're dealing with the owners. You're also having to do your job. 
how tough is it to manage multiple horses heading into the Derby? To be honest with you, it's not that difficult because we're used to training, you know, multiple horses. And and let's say, for example, if if one of these horses was running in the Kentucky Derby, but the other two might be running on, on the same card and undercard stakes. And, and so, you know, we're, we're preparing the horses the same. It just in some cases happens to be for one race. And, you know, when that one race is the Kentucky Derby, then obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot more attention on it. And the, the, the owners are rightfully very excited about it and, you know, kind of wanting to know how they get their paddock passes and this and that and all the, you know, those little things, which, you know, I try to I try to delegate that kind of stuff so that I can I can focus on on the horses. Yeah, delegation is key. With the uh, with the paddock being tore up this year, uh, does that create any complications for you, or is that always just business as usual? And for those that aren't familiar, Churchill Downs is going through a massive renovation right now, and I was just wondering if that's going to play any type of role or or change things in any way for you. You know, I, I actually met with uh, track management uh, a few days ago, walked through the paddock with them, and, and I, I, I don't foresee it being an issue. It's, it's, it's a very similar uh, temporary layout to what, what we had before. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest concern on that is just when you get 20 horses in there, it can get a little bit crowded. And then on top of that, with, with the people who want to be in there, it, it, my only, my biggest concern is always kind of for the safety of the horses and the people in there. And, and you know, there's just a, it's a little bit of tight quarters. I think, I think it's a welcome renovation. And when the, when the finished product is done, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, a really good addition might be a little bit of a, you know, makeshift year this year, but, but looking at the design they have, I, I think it'll work out fine. Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome for Derby 150 next year. And, uh, you know, like everywhere, similar to the football field where they're putting the field suites in. And when we walk out of the locker room in most stadiums nowadays, there's a sports bar right there and the fans get to take it all in. Well, that's going to be like your experience at Churchill Downs, which will be really cool. This year, there's going to be a lot of mess out there. Hopefully the weather stays great and it won't cause too many issues. But uh, the track will be fairly tore up this year. When you go about selecting your jockeys, what goes into that process? Well, a lot of it starts, you know, way before the Kentucky Derby in most cases. And, uh, you know, Fortes, for example, I read Ortiz has, has ridden him in every start of his career and, and started riding him, you know, back in, uh, in May of his, of his two-year-old season. So, um, you know, that one, that one's pretty straightforward. He, he's kind of been our go-to jockey the last few years and, so once he uh, showed that he had a good rapport with him and, and results were good, that that one was kind of easy. Now you take Kings Barnes, for example, and just by, by the way his sort of race calendar is gone, he went from a maiden race at Gulfstream and Louis Saez rode him. And then we went up for an allowance race and, and at Tampa and, and Antonio Gallardo rode him there. And so each, you know, each place he's gone, he's kind of landed with a different jockey. And, and that's just more you know, happenstance than, than anything else. But, you know, I, I think when you're, what you're looking for is, you know, if you know you have an obvious speed horse, you're looking for, you know, some guys kind of have a, have a, a niche for, for doing good on, on horses that run close to the page. You'll have other guys that are maybe better on closers. And, you know, I kind of, most jockeys are small, but if we have a really small horse, I'll tend to try to put a, 
you know, one of the smaller riders on them. And, and uh, you know, you got a little bit of a lazy horse, you're going to look for a stronger, more aggressive rider. So you're kind of trying to fit the, the jockey's personalities to the, to the horse's personalities as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What's your what goes into your thought process on if you then uh, move on to send uh, your horse on to the Belmont Belmont in the second leg of the Triple Crown? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the most the obvious most important thing is is the mile and a half distance, and you know, we've had pretty good results over the years running in the derby and then and then kind of training that five weeks up to the uh to the belmont and um you know if if you win the kentucky derby obviously you're wanting to go to to pimlico and and try the preakness but if you don't and you feel like you have a horse that's that's bred and and will get the mile and a half distance then then we've had what we feel like are pretty good results training that five weeks up to the up to the belmont do you have any pre-race superstitions that that you abide by? <laughs> uh, I, I've got I've got a few. I, I, over the years, you know, you find I, I used to think you'd have a lucky TV or something where you can go watch a race on, but you know, if you watch enough races on that, what are you going to find out? It's not so lucky after a little while. So, um, I. Uh, I think a lot of my superstitions have come from things like my dad's told me over the years, like never carry around a $50 bill. You know, I'll never, never keep a $50 bill in my pocket and don't usually put a hat on the bed or, uh, you know, of course, if a, if a black hat crosses in front of you, you got to put the car in reverse and, you know, go a different direction. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. The $50 bill thing was new to me. Uh, if you uh, play sports with Clinton Glasscock enough, you realize that you got to carry around enough cash on you. I, I love paying him out in those unlucky 50. <laughs> um, when, when you spend time in Louisville, what's your favorite restaurant to hit while you're here? Um, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of learning a lot of the restaurants. I think, uh, you know, we usually try to get a, Jack Fry's at least once while we're here and Jeff Ruby's and, and uh, you know, I'd say those, those are two of the spots we usually hit. Yeah. You're doing it right. All right. Last from last one for me, usually I'll ask, you know, this is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for the guests. But in your case, uh, I'm assuming what's next for you is, is hopefully uh, winning the Kentucky Derby with one of your three horses. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the first thing on the, on the radar for sure. And, and, uh, yeah, the, one of the unique things about this business is the day after the Derby, it's, it's on to another one. And, you know, and hopefully that's uh, trying to win the Preakness. And, you know, and then after the Preakness, it's on to, to the Belmont. And then after that, you're on to Saratoga. So there's, it's kind of a, you know, there's, there's no, no real end zone in this game. You just kind of keep, keep going. Yeah. That was, that was going to be one, one quick follow-up would be, is there a time of year where you get to take your foot off the gas a little bit, travel with the family and, and get some time to yourself? Or is this truly an all consuming business? I would say it's definitely all consuming. And, you know, th- those kind of things you, you got to try to make happen with your, with your family when you get a shot. And usually we try to do a little quick getaway with the family right before the Saratoga meet starts sometime at the end of June or early July. And then, you know, around Christmas time, hopefully can, break away and uh you know get a little little time away but it's it's like i said it's kind of you know on from one one major goal to another yeah i understand that well todd i can't thank you enough for your time this has been a real treat uh getting to spend some time with you here hopefully me and the family might see you out there at at, uh behind on the backside one morning 
uh, this week. And, and if not, hopefully catch you either at the track or up in Saratoga, one of my favorite places to visit. But I uh, wish you all the best of luck in the Kentucky Derby. You've done it right throughout your career and wish you nothing but the best, brother. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you. Yeah, likewise.